There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. You're listening to the best of the Tom Bernard Show.com, brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant. Who, me? <laughs> I'd like to know if I was married to a whore piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) You could just look at her license. My special stripe. That was amazing. Oh my gosh. Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions, pickles. It's not how you use them, sir. (laughs) (laughs) It's really sickening that anybody would be into radio this much. It is ungoddamn believable. I think I'm going to hell. I just realized it. Thank you, Tom. You're just delicious. This is why I drink. We're here today with Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant. Michael, what's going on? You know, we keep getting phone calls, and it's interesting because people try to handle a lot of stuff on their own, or they try to talk to the adjusters, or they wait, um, and they think maybe it'll cost them money if they talk to me. And, you know, we tell them it's free to talk to us. Um, I go through what their rights are, and you know we try to help them as best we can. We don't sign everyone up. Sometimes I just give them advice, and they go from there, and then call us back later. But the key is, is that they don't know all their rights, or they're not told all their rights by the adjuster. And that's one of the things we try to make sure that they get, you know, they get that understanding, uh, so they can help themselves and their families as best they can. And the number is is eight hundred seven seven zero seven zero zero eight. Or at the website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Brad, Sean, Bryant, Michael Bryant, thank you. Seeking justice for the injured, Brad, Sean, Bryant. everybody to yet another episode of the best of the tom bernard podcast brought to you as always by bradshaw and bryant kicking off the show this week we had dr john huber discussing why socialism is not really actually a good idea because humans right We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Our special guest, Dr. John Huber. How are you, sir? I am amazing, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Well, I know you're amazing, but I'm just talking about how's life. You know. Oh, it is. Uh, it is blessed. I mean, I, I'm, I cannot complain. 
It is amazing that you're on today because I was just thinking about you. Americans have shifted dramatically in what values matter most. Yeah, I saw those numbers, and it's, um, you know, Dr. Hubert, uh, when are people going to stop getting so angry on a daily basis? It cannot be healthy for them or society to be so angry every day. God. Well, it's not. It's not healthy at all. And and that's part of the problem, you know, that we are driven by a lot of different things. There's no one reason why this is happening right now. It has to do with a lot. You know, we're taught uh, to to take criticism, but not taught how to take somebody who's telling you you're doing well. So whenever somebody does tell you that, the first thing you think is, what are they What are they trying to get from me? You know, because they've got this... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of just saying thank you and go on about your business. At the same time, you know, our politicians use this anger to divide the nation. So hopefully they get to stay in power. And that's ultimately their goal. They don't really care if they do what they're saying for you or if it's in right. their interest. Politicians want power and, and they want to hang on to that power once they get there. Um, it is that then you got this news cycle that you know we used to have subscriptions to newspapers Mm -hmm. and it really didn't matter i mean yeah they would lead with certain stories so that you know the newsstands would would move more but the subscription base was their bread and butter and if it wasn't on the front page you know it was going to get read now we get we get click-throughs that's how they get their their income there's no subscription base the advertisers pay per click so they put the bloodiest horrible, most emotional yeah. headline, even yep. if the story doesn't support that, and they get click-throughs. So people believe that this is happening all the time. You know, it's just like they talk about how horrible these mass shootings have. They've just blown up. Well, if you look at the definition used by the FBI over the last 12 to 15 years, they have not increased. In mm-hmm. fact, we're at 19 this year, and we've been averaging between 20 and 30 every year. So we're just below average. And, uh, you know, but they want you to think that it's happening every day in every grocery store and public school in the nation, and it's not. But they drive that home. At the same time, we have these young people who parents have been trying to shield them from the pain, and they've never let them learn coping skills, coping mechanisms. So now all of a sudden, you know, they hit the streets at 18 or 21, 22 when they graduate college, and there were no jobs available. And they wanted to go back under the shelter of mom and dad's wings, and a lot of them did that. And they weren't pressured very hard to get out and do all that kind of stuff. And now the, the vice of, hey, free things, I want that. Right, uh, right. It's, it's too easy for them to just fall for that. And, you know, they, they never really learned their history because education shifted over to teaching for a test so that they can, quote, unquote, increase their graduation numbers. It does not necessarily teach our people what we need to know. And it's, it's multiple combinations of that. Then you add things like absentee parenting, use of, of cell phones and, and, and computer screens to raise your children, things like that. And, man, it, it's, it's amazing it's not as any worse than it is. Now, Dr. Huber, just off topic for one quick second because, you know, with your qualifications, I said you're qualified. Did you hear that? Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Explain to me, and again, I know this is off topic, but I wanted to ask you this anyway because I thought of you when I I saw it happening. Harvey Weinstein's in court being charged with more crimes, and the judge has to tell him to get off his phone in the courtroom. 
What is he he's doing? Got, what is that? He's got he's got a phone in the courtroom. Yeah. Seriously. He was looking at his phone in the courtroom while they were discussing the case, and the judge had to tell him, get off your phone in the courtroom. What does that say? It it says a lot. Yeah. Uh, You know, I I go to court for my my clients and stuff, and and a lot of times in lower courts, and I mean like misdemeanor courts, and, you know, they walk in, and the bailiff's first one, you know, if you're going to have your cell phone, it has to be off or I'm confiscating it. Right. And I, I've been in courtrooms where the judge actually imposes a $100 fine if you want your phone back, if you use it during the court proceedings. And this is a high-level court talking, you know, serious felony issues, and he's letting the guy sit on his phone. That's pretty sad. Yeah, I mean, he, the judge said, get off your phone. You, you can't be on. What basically it said to me, and I, that's the, the thing I wanted to ask you, the, the psychological aspect of this is, I'm going to show you that I don't care about anything and I'm in charge here. That's what I got from it. Just being being that cocky, it's just I want to make sure that you understand just who I am here. Oh, we lost Dr. John Huber. Let me give him a call. We back. did. Yeah, his mm. phone must have dropped. I think Harvey Weinstein just got off his phone and it ruined all communication. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and that's exactly what it is. That was a power play. It was that Absolutely Harvey was doing was. this. Is a, you yep. know, you're. This is secondary. This is a trivia. This That's trivial. Exactly right. Mat, this is a trivial matter. You know, it's, it's 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 like oh, I put the fence on your property six inches too far. Well, but this is nothing. This is nothing. We'll right. Move the fence. That's nothing. Let's not talk about this anymore. No, you're I, right. You're 100 right. It, it's just unbelievable. Well, what was, when he had his phone, was he on? Well, you know, I think what we should know is was he on Twitter or, or was he on uh, Grinder? Oh, he might have been on Grinder. Grinder <laughs> or what's the other one? Uh, Tumblr. Tumblr. Did yeah. you have to <laughs> swipe right? No, we were just talking about Dr. Huber that 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 was such a power play by Weinstein it's like you know this is all secondary and I got more important things to do than be here exactly and and I think he he snubbed the court some more by going through and immediately after the charges were filed he was divorced in about two weeks and his wife ended up with about 90 percent of his assets that's right those people who go after him and try to ruin him they've only got 10 percent of that yet his offspring and his family have the rest to go on with their life Uh, whatever something his nose at the courts too I think well, that's just kind of who he is, apparently. One of the most arrogant human beings ever born. Um, as far as the younger generation is concerned, and by that I mean the 18 to 34 people out there, I had been talking to quite a few of them, and they seem to be a bit more conservative than the millennials. I, and I guess the millennials yeah. are still late 20s, early 30s, but that would yeah. be that would be the low end of millennials, wouldn't it? I think so, and... And it is pretty disturbing, but I do see a shift back in the other direction. And, yeah, yep. Uh, I go into to work with, you know, because I work with kids and adolescents and stuff, and I go in and work with these kids, and they're like, what What are those people who, who are walking in front of me doing? Don't they realize? Did they never Did they never study Cambodia? Did they never study what happened, you know, in Venezuela that they watched happen in Venezuela? Yeah. Which they've turned a blind eye to. The numbers are pretty amazing, and I don't want to quote the numbers. I, I'm, uh, do, you, do you have these percentages in front of you, uh, what Americans reject and accept in the late, late, uh, well, latest Gallup poll? Gallup poll looking at, at uh, these. Now, you always have to know, and, and they did not cite who they, you know, how they randomized their selection. So, you know, that was the problem with the last election. They were, they were, uh, they were 
interviewing three liberals to every conservative, so it looked like, you know, right. he was behind by three or four percentage points. Well, if you're doing three to one, he should have been behind 12 or 14 percentage points. Right. So that was that was a dead giveaway. But they in this study, I have not been able to find how they did their quote-unquote randomization. But they said that of the people surveyed, 43 percent said some version of socialism was good for the country. And we can sit back and argue some of the stuff they mentioned in there, socialism was social security. And I'm like, excuse me, we pay into that. It's right. Not just that's not socialism. People, so that's not true socialism. Uh, but they also talked about the roads and things like that and, mm-hmm. and Medicaid. And there is some of that. And we don't want our people to die. We don't want our people to be sick. It's not healthy for our country. So there's some that we should be taking care of, period. Uh, but it, by no choice of those individuals' lives. Well, you know, they, they got sick. It's not their choice right, right. kind of a thing. So, um, But when you looked at ages 18 to 34, it was 58% thought we should be embracing socialism and communism. While any anybody over 55, it was just 36%. And again, I think those numbers are skewed slightly to, to the left yes. due to sampling error, but... Because I walk around and, you know, when I'm on college campuses, you're inundated like, it's, you know, 90 to 10 percent. You know, 90 percent are, yes. are, yes, let's be socialist. And they're driven by, you know, academia who's never actually had to produce in order to, Correct. to make their income. You know, I mean, so business people know the struggles of capitalism and, you know, they just have to go out and, and do research that people may or may not buy or be interested in to keep tenureship. And they can preach whatever models they want to. It's called freedom of speech. And uh, people who are driven by production and getting rewards for production tend to stay away from that. So it was a natural evolution. But they're teaching our kids that are quote-unquote college-educated that uh, things like, like communism is a viable method, yet there's not been a single example that functionally (laughs) worked. And we can look at Venezuela, and the minute I bring up Venezuela to my past university peers, they would just, you know, hush up. Oh, that's not relevant. They'd walk away. How, How is it not relevant? relevant? It's, it's not real socialism, or it's not real communism. Oh, is well, that right? Okay. What, but what do they preach here? We, we're going to be different because we're democratic socialism. Well, that's exactly what Venezuela was. Mm-hmm. They went through a democratic process to accept socialism, right. and they give and bow down all all civil rights and everything over to the government, all ownership of land and businesses, and look where they're at in three years, over 50% have no electricity, over 50% have no running water. The the only the, I would submit that the only place that it really has worked, uh, like in Scandinavia, where the socialism, not communism, socialism, is where you have an industry, a massive industry that's pretty much 80% of the uh, GNP, one industry that right. supports the socialism. And, and and that's a, that's an aberrancy to that. It's not really socialism. It's a, it's a, it's like a company town uh, where the the company's but, supporting that. Right. But but look what else happens in that country. Everybody's required to serve, mm-hmm. so they have a national respect. They've all been in the military in some way, shape, or form. And that's something we don't have in this country. You know, we we live off three percent of our volunteers. That defends our country, and and it's pretty pretty big difference. I mean, a lot of these these left-wing younger people, if they had served and they had seen other countries and defended people who were being harmed by socialist monarchies and dictatorships, 
would not be doing what they're doing today. You know, it's really kind of funny. I was thinking about what you said that, that that these people have never had to produce to earn a living. These you know these college professors and all the rest of it. Um, and there are some great college professors out there. It's just yes, that 90% of them aren't. They just, like any other job, 90% of them are not very good at it. But I was thinking, well, what you said about, you know, answering, having to answer the bell when you work out in the uh, real world. And I will never forget, we, we, the KQ Morning Show, had a 30 share in the morning, by far the highest share in America. Nobody was even close. I think there was a much smaller That's market that was at a 20 share, right? Uh-huh. So I come into work, do the show, and I leave the show, and there's a new general manager, and they're kind of crabby. I'm like, what's the matter? Oh, God. It's a lot of pressure on this job. I said, what's the problem? He goes, our ratings are down. I said, what, really? They're down that much? He goes, oh, God. I said, well, what do we have? Oh, we're down to a 29. Oh, I my said, God. Are you insane? This guy was actually having a fit that we were down about 3% <laughs> from a 30 to a 29. And see, I don't think college professors know that that stuff even happens, that if they can, oh, they have no, clue. no, they have no clue. They have no idea that that actually happens in the real world. Yeah. And they go and they, they apply for research grants and they, they get a research <laughs> grant. The university comes through and gives them an increase in salary for that, get, bringing that money into the university. They mm-hmm. never take that increase away from them. So when the grant's gone, they maintain their salary. Oh, then God. they get another grant, and they get another bump in pay. And that never goes away. I just, what? Unbelievable. with absurd salaries teaching two classes a semester because they're doing research. Yeah. And it's pretty sad. It is really, really sad, as a matter of fact. What do you think is coming up with the 18 to 34-year-olds? Well, I think a lot of them have never been forced to deal with a lot of adversity, and they don't have the coping skills of previous generations. I mean, when I, when I hear, you know, college freshmen, college graduates, college students, college-age students going on about how they have it harder than anybody else. I guess they didn't, you know, they, they, they don't know anything about Iwo Jima and, and storming, you know, the, the cliffs at, at, in Europe and going in after the Germans. And these are kids, literally kids, some of them 16, 17 years old in there. And have because of them, these guys have privileges that, that nobody else in the world does have. And yet their life is so hard because they have, you know, bad Wi-Fi connection. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, right. and, and I see them, oh, I'm looking for a job. Okay, here's a job over here. I got a friend. He has, you know, he owns this restaurant. And he's looking. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm looking for, like, more like a CEO type thing part-time. <laughs> part-time CEO. Yeah, literally. And, and they don't want. They don't want hourly wage. They need to be on salary. Sure. So, you know. Well, sure. they think that because they have a four-year degree, they're entitled to an upper management position because they're better than anyone who doesn't have a degree. Which, exactly. to be fair, is the what the job market is, tells them. It says, if you have a degree, you're just a superior person. Yeah. Well, they didn't learn economics. And, no. and, you know, people like AOC, she doesn't know economics. She doesn't understand what, what she's talking about when it comes to that. And if anybody has had a small business... You know, you know, the bottom line, you know, if it's not there, it's not there. Mm-hmm. You're done. Yeah, I mean, and that's what this show fact. is. This show is a small <laughs> business that, that's, you know, we have one, two, three. I think we have four employees. 
I run it as a small business. I don't make any money from it, but the other people do, which is why we started it in the first place. It's a family business, but people don't understand yep. that. It's like, no, there's not enough room for me to take a salary, but it was put in exactly. place for but the family. you're the evil business owner. Yes, I'm you know, the evil the business the owner. That's right. Yeah. That's very true. Right. I don't and, know. I love uh, having you on. And it, it's, it's, it's an easy way, you know, demonize people. That's what, that's what we did when we go into wars. We demonize the other side so they're somewhat right. less human. So it's easier for our soldiers to put that crosshair on somebody and not think of him, hey, he's probably got a kid at home or a wife or a girlfriend. And you think he's, an, he's a demon and you pull the trigger. And every, yeah. Yeah. every army in the world does it to the other armies. It is their way of maintaining superior uh, power over the others. And uh, we did it, and we have all these evil, weird, bizarre names that we've called our, our opponents over the decades. And uh, it's part of that dehumanization. Once you start making somebody a little less human, all of a sudden it's real easy to hate them, and it's real easy to feel superior. So no, they do that true. now in our own culture, and we demonize these business owners. And, uh, you know, they, they, they somehow criticize somebody for working 100, 110 hours a week and making $100,000 a year, but they glorify, you know, a movie actor who goes out, works six weeks, and makes a $10 million paycheck. Right. No, that's exactly right. I'm going to leave and, you with this. because I didn't take the risk. I know you got to go, but I want to read one headline to you, and I'm not going to read the story, just the headline, so you can take whatever you want. But this is an actual national headline that's appearing on many news sites. So think about this, Dr. John Huber, and then get back to me next week or the week after. Okay, you ready? Yes. Help solve cruel donkey murders. Oh, yeah. In London, people are stabbing donkeys. They're stabbing donkeys. Okay. <laughs> London's not a place you want to be right now. <laughs> I guess Especially not. if you're a donkey. Why would you stab a donkey, Dr. Huber? Well, maybe it's a serial killer. Maybe it's just one guy running around stabbing all the donkeys. I guess. Uh, that probably is yeah, true. Probably is. <laughs> Who would have a donkey in it, London? I, I, yeah, well, I, yeah. I can think of several reasons why that would be a social rebuttal to the fact that they've confiscated all guns. And now, for the first time in, in their history, the Bobbies are having to carry firearms. Yeah. Around, you know? Yep. And because they, they used to know that they were being supported by their community. And if there was a bad person there, they could pull, pull out their billy club and, you know, they would be supported by the community. Now they're not. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, it's, you know, we had, what was it? We had two mass shootings a weekend or so ago, two weekends ago, and, and the last one in Dayton, the other one in El Paso. The next day or two days after, we had a mass knifing. Didn't even make national headlines. Oh, people killed. Several other people wounded from a person with a knife. Unbelievable. And, you know, we had 22 people knifed in an incident in, in China. So it's not the weapon, it's the people. And that's what we got to remember. The people are doing this. Jim Jones killed 920 people with Kool-Aid. Right. So it, it's I, not the weapon. Weapons, we can make anything. In fact, yep. you know, we, 2017, we had 420 some odd people murdered by long rifles, like like deer rifles, oh, yeah. 15, the whole combination, yep. yet we lost almost 1,600 people being bludgeoned to death by hammers and baseball bats. Oh, that's not good. I'd rather go out with a rifle, thank you. Yeah, that's I, yeah Well, but at the same time, we had 47,000 gun deaths, but only 400 and some odd were, were these evil weapons that they're trying to target. It, it's, it's really bizarre. They, they focus on the yep. statistical anomalies mm -hmm. because it's 
scares and excites that, that primal part of us because it's so unusual that it does frighten us. Well, my favorite is when they include, if they say gun violence, that statistic includes suicide, death from gun violence, but they never mention yeah, that. They don't mention and that. And two-thirds of gun deaths are from suicide. So when they Two give you a number, are? they're actually tripling what you yeah. interpret as what it means, but it's not what it means. But they don't well, tell they you tell that you it's not. People died from guns every day, but then they turn around and when we say, well, the FBI says we've had probably 1,200 to 2,000 people protected themselves with firearms today and violence did not occur. Right. Oh, that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that doesn't count. <clears throat> so take this thought with you, Dr. Huber. Somebody in London's watching TV in a bar, and they look up, and there's Boris Johnson, and they say, oh, somebody should stab that Here. jackass. He can throw it out for you. What do you think? <laughs> oh, and somebody took it literally? Wow. That's a uh, lot of work yeah, there. That's a lot of work, I, Dr. I, Huber. You know, I, I don't know Boris personally. He might be that, you know, kind of person, but uh, I think I think that's a threat on this person, knowing that they have all the serial ass-killings there. <laughs> the serial ass-killing. We're going to close with serial ass-killing, Dr. Huber. <laughs> Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. Have an amazing day. You too. Bye. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. John Huber on the best of. Coming up next, we had Jordan Asher Huffman, a new contributor to the Alan Parsons Project. Special guest Jordan Asher Huffman. Jordan, how are you? Good. How are you, Tom? Doing extremely well. You know, many years ago, I, I also do a morning show here in in town, Jordan. And many years ago, I interviewed Alan Parsons. What a nice person! Just a really good person. Oh, is it, isn't he amazing? He really is. Just very even keel. A great engineer. I'm, Jordan, he started out engineering things, right? He became a performer later on, but he started out as an engineer, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. His, uh, you know, believe it or not, it's um, a lot of people know this or don't. I'm not quite sure, but his first gig was with the Beatles. Right. I, I mean, this quite amazing, you know, just the uh, the trajectory of his his contributions to the world. Yeah, no doubt. He was he was an Abbey Road guy, wasn't he? Music. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, he, uh, started as an intern. God, amazing! Now, how did you start, Jordan? Uh, I was always interested in music. I think uh, I was around eight to eight years old. I I knew I wanted to be a part of music. I just didn't know in which way. Uh, my dad was a professional drummer before uh my lifetime um and so i think it was just in my blood and i i played around uh with drums and guitar and and taught myself how to play piano and then i heard uh vocal i was i was extremely fortunate to always hear great music 
as a child, and I I heard Steve Perry. Oh God! Sing, yeah. and and that was just. I think that's what closed it for me. You know, amongst many other vocalists, but Steve Perry's just his magic. It just set me on fire. Did you, and that's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. Have you met Steve Perry? I have not. Not not yet. I'm, I, I, I really hope to one day. I'm telling you, Jordan and Scott, I just interviewed him. Uh, I did an interview with, with Steve that was used across the country on radio stations, all the rest of it. Spent about two hours in studio with him. He, unbelievably nice man uh, to the point of I would ask him very personal questions. He always answered them. There were a couple of points where he kind of teared up during the interview because he's a very he's a very nice man, a really nice man, very emotional. Of course, he's had loss in his life, uh, tragedy mm-hmm. in his life and all the rest of it. But, Jordan, when you meet him, you are going to be floored at what a great guy he is. He's amazing. He gave me a big hug after the interview and said, man, that was so much fun. Thank you. Great guy. Oh, man. Yeah, seems to be a pattern, you know, with, with such um, monumental artists, you know, with, with their artistry. It, it yep. seems that they're all, they're all really solid people. You know, there, there's no, not a whole lot of ego or, nope. or any other motivation behind their art. It's just real, you know, humanity. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and feeling. You are 100% correct. So now... Someday I get to tell people that I interviewed Jordan Asher Huffman. What do you think of that action? <laughs> well, it's my it's my uh, extreme privilege to be on on your show. So thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a great it's a great pleasure. Believe me, all the people over the over the years, Jordan Asher Huffman, new member of Alan Parsons Project musical team, featured on the song "The Secret." Tell me about the secret, if you would, Jordan. Yeah, uh, it was it was. Uh, I mean, so that yeah, this is my debut, um, you know, in the uh, in the big leagues. I, uh, the secret started out, um, you know, like all all of Alan's work, and I, I think any artist, will, you know, it comes up with a, an idea and a true uh, passion and alternate art form that Alan is uh, interested in is magic. And, um, so he wanted to write something close to him. Uh, and that's, that's how the, the secret was born essentially. Um, so we all, uh, it was, it was really cool. Uh, the Alan announced the, um, the subject matter and then brought, you know, all of his band in and it, and it was truly a, a family, uh, exploration process. You know, it, Everybody wrote a song, you know, regarding the their their in, their interpretation of what magic is, and um, you know, some were completely literal, some were not, you know, because there's there's mad, magic is such a a uniform. Uh, well, uniform is not the right word. It, it's uh, very interpretive. You know, magic could be, you know, seeing the sunrise. It could be a baby born. It could be you know, card tricks. It could be anything. So, uh, we wrote, we all wrote, uh, I wrote a song, uh, the limelight fades away and that, uh, and I wasn't even pitching it. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't formally work with Alan at this point yet. Uh, he heard the song and he asked, 
he, he called me about a month later and asked uh, if I'd be interested in it being on The Secret and aside from that, me singing on the album. So to me, I was extremely floored. You know, yeah. it, so you didn't hang up it, thinking it was, it was uh, a prank? <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah. You know, at first I did. I was, I was just like, you know, that's funny. You know, I. Um, but then Alan, you know, in in his way, uh, just no, I'm very serious, and and that's how it happened. And um, and then Alan uh, got in and co-wrote with me as well, and we formulated it, and and uh, you know just really dialed it in and and there it is i mean the the rest of the album uh is ju- it's just it's so awesome to me because again alan is you know giving more to the world in art and music and it's just it's just a really really neat thing jordan I have a question are you going to be uh are you going to be in nashville the the last week in october do you know if you're going to be home that week Last week of October, I think I am. All right. The reason I'm asking is that I mentioned the morning show that I do. We're going to come to Nashville the last week in October and do a couple of shows from down there. I would love to have you as an in-studio guest when we do that. That'd be terrific. Oh, I'd, I'd love. I'd absolutely love that. As as far as I know, I, the schedule does say I'm home. So yeah, that would be great to have you in the studio. Changes. I mean, for our, our our listeners to be able to see you sitting there talking about you know, how this all started, talking about working with Alan Parsons. You can bring Tabitha, but I don't know about the three cats, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, um, they they like to party. You know, they'll be, they'll be, more, <laughs> yeah, they'll be more active on the microphones than we will be, probably. Yeah, probably true. So you're living in Nashville, by the way, has just become, it's the center of the musical universe now. Yes, it, it's... Uh, I've been here before because um, I went to engineering school, um, not as a career. T- it was a career choice because music was my career choice. But mm-hmm. I uh, I went to uh, engineering school called um, uh, the Conservatory of Recording Arts and Sciences. Mm-hmm. And part of the the curriculum is you need to intern in a professional studio uh, to finalize your, your growth. And I chose Nashville simply because of its, uh, musical environment. You know, it's, uh, there is no ulterior motive other than music in the music business in Nashville. And, uh, I got to come here and even then, you know, you walk into any club, any venue, any bar, the musicians are just, uh, flawless. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. stunning. I think John Sebastian wrote a song about that back in the late Nashville 60s. You remember Cats, Nashville baby. Cats? They were Love badass back back then. They were. In the late 60s, yep. you're right. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I love John yeah, Sebastian. Yeah, it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful city um, with with wonderful people, just like everywhere. Yeah, just you pretty know? much everywhere. Jordan, you bounce back between back and forth between Nashville and, and Northern California? Uh, yeah, well, Southern California. Um, oh, Southern I grew California, up in Northern okay. California. Right, right. Yeah, I, I grew up in Redding, um, but uh, Southern California because uh, Alan lives in Southern California, so I go back a lot there um, for family and friends, but also for music. Uh, Alan and I still are continuing on working together with original stuff. We are in the uh, 
in the midst of a new piece, which will be coming out this year, if not uh, if not this year, it'll be early next year. So we're excited about that. That will be a just a single mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with him and I. So, Jordan, and, you said uh, you, you said you were you you were born and grew up in Redding, California. Redding, California. Well, I was born in Texas, actually. Oh, okay. All right. Um, and uh, my my mother and father decided to move to Northern California when I was about four. So we landed in Redding. Yeah, the reason I ask you that is Ryan O'Callaghan, former NFL player, he's just released a book. Uh, Ryan O'Callaghan's a great guy. He was he born and grew up in Redding, California, as a matter of fact. Um, oh, wow. Just a really, really great guy. He, he is an, uh, an offensive lineman, an openly gay man in the NFL. You know, that, that was probably a, probably a struggle, I would imagine. But, uh, yeah, if you ever get a chance to talk to him, when if you ever get back to Reading and talk to Ryan O'Callaghan, he's a great guy. Really, really good. Uh, he's, put, st- he's still there then. Yeah, yeah, he still lives in Reading. Yep. It's pretty amazing. I like that way you put that, Jordan. You yeah. go, he's still there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because Reading was such yeah. a cool. I mean, it was it was awesome to grow up in. You know, you have the yeah. Mount Shasta right there, right? And the the lake. I mean, every everything to do. You know, on on either season was there. It's just I left um, simply because it was one of those towns. You know, it, it you just. I, I knew there was a bigger world, and I, I yeah, wanted to go yeah. see it. Yeah, and and come into myself, you know, whatever or whomever that might be. And I knew seeing different places, meeting different people from different spaces, it was the only way to do that. That is so cool. So, how often do you work side by side with Alan Parsons? Uh well, so the uh, the last major tour, um, he invited me to come. Yeah, uh, be a featured vocalist on the tour for uh, uh, one of his uh, hit singles that I, I didn't sing on the album, but I sang it live. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was probably to answer the question often, um, it, whether I'm Good. on tour or we're writing a song or working together in the studio, it's he's primarily uh, will be always be you know, my producer, as long as I am lucky enough to get hit by the muse and write a, a song worth recording. I, I have a question for you. I find this curious. I'm an amateur yeah. musician myself. When you write, do you do music first and then lyrics or the other way around? I, I, you know, that's a great question. I, I like music first because mu- the chord progression, I was just talking about this with my, uh, my vocal coach, that the music hits me and and that's what inspires me See, you know the, I, I'm the same way and that's why i'm just floored and i guess the most famous example uh, but not the only one is bernie taupin and elton john so bernie taupin just oh. hands him a couple of pieces of paper and it's got tiny dancer on it and yeah. out comes oh, this great I song i don't I, I my brain does not function that way right yeah i wish i've, I've been I've been studying so hard, you know, because there's there's things to learn, and I really try. My main motto in life is, um, you know, surround yourself with the people you would like to become, you know, in some essence. That yeah. doesn't mean try to make friends based on your own agenda. It means, you know, who do you want to be? You know, what do you want to do? And 
I've, I always learn the best from listening, watching, being around, you know, the fly on the wall. And because uh, it just rubs off on you. And you, you talk about Bernie Talpin and Elton John. I mean, those songs make you cry, you know, just mm-hmm. in the sound. And I've always been about sound. One of my faults as a writer is lyrically, you know, because I never paid attention to it my whole, you know, like um, Faithfully by Journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You listen to the, the way that feels. And then then you listen to the words and then the two come together and that's what, but just alone in sound and movement is so powerful. Even if you didn't even speak English, it moves you, you know? And that's, I've always paid attention to that as a, as a musician and writer. But lyrics are extremely important. Don't get me wrong. It's just, I'm, I'm gratified. I'm moved by music. It is a wonderful thing. Jordan, how, do, how would people reach out if they want to get a hold of your material? What's the best way to reach out and, and find all, of, all the stuff you work on? So I have on? A, a website, jordanhuffman.com, um, as well as uh, I'm on social media, uh, as you introduced me, Jordan Asher Huffman. Mm-hmm. Um, they can always reach out there. And, uh, yeah, I'd I'd, I'd love to meet everybody. Absolutely. Jordan, shout. we shall stay in touch, but I, I look forward. I'm hoping you're in, in Nashville the last week in, uh, in October. I'd love to meet you in person and have you come in and do the show. I think it'd be a, you'd, you'd have a ball. It'd be great to see you. Yeah, I, I would absolutely love that. Whatever needs to happen to make that happen. I know, I know I'm here at the moment, so we'll just count on it. We'll get it done. I'm looking at your phone number right now, so you won't be hard to find. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan. Oh, what a pleasure. Thank you so much, Tom. Our great. great day. You too, sir. Jordan Asher Huffman, ladies and gentlemen, new member of Alan Parsons Project, musical team featured on the song The Secret. What a nice guy. Yeah, he seems like a really nice guy. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast. Coming up next, closing out the show, we're opening up the old vault. We're going way back to episode 292 with the late, great Flip Saunders. Next on The Best Of... Hi, Flip. Don Shelby, how are you? Good. How are you, Don? I'm good. Oh, good to be better. I'm I'm uh, playing second banana to uh, oh, Tom. Would you stop with that? I'm like eighth banana, yep. so yep. I'm that's not fair. even in the bunch. They that's bring that. me in when, when it's basketball time to talk. Is. Oh, is that what we do? That's what, what you said. You Flip, always said that. Flip, just let me, let me tell you something. He never shuts up, so <laughs> that's not much of a second banana. <laughs> Well, then that makes for a good show. Absolutely. Absolutely does. Flip will be within just about 60 Uh, seconds, okay? No problem. Thank you for being on, by the way. It's very nice of you. More definitely. Our caller is here as well with us. All right, we're going to do the first question. Interview thing at the moment. The first question. You can just bring it up. 
45 seconds. All right. 45. 45. 45. Thank you. 45. 45. 45. 45. I'm going to Union tonight. You what? I'm going to Union. Union, what's that? Restaurant. Oh, the restaurant. Rooftop. Oh, with the rooftop. I've never been there. Going tonight. Where is it? Got about 10 seconds. All right, here we go. 10 seconds. Tell me who. I thought you were going to Northeast. Radio 105, the ticket. Talk to Tom right now on the ticket line. 651-989-9105. Pure sports talk in the afternoon. Sports Radio 105, the ticket. We are back on the Tom Bernard Show. Yes, we are. I just said that. Uh, Tom Bernard Show at Sports Radio 105, the ticket. We were just singing. You know, Don, when I was a, I was a young kid, when I was like, 14 years old, I sang that song. Really? The Tommy Edwards song. Because I could go, many a tear has to fall. You sound just like it. I could do, I could do a good uh, Tommy Edwards impression. That's great. Now, I'm sure Mike and Bob, you know what I really like about that? But, but something just happened just now, Mike and Bob, is we're talking around the room here at the Milf Bang Studio. <laughs> As Eddie, Eddie McDaniel calls him. Uh, we're talking about your show. And Sam referred to it as the Mike and My Dad show. <laughs> there, there's there the name go. for your show. You well, finally have it. Dad. You see, we've tried to go with the big spit. And the big spit standing for so many things that I that I can relate to in, in my past. But I don't know if the program director is going to like that or not. But the, the, big spit, yeah. the big spit. The, the big Mike spit. The Mike and My Dad show. Um, okay, we do have that caller. Uh, yep. And the caller's name? We don't know. We don't know. You're on with Mike and Bob. Hey, it's Rick from Princeton. Well, Rick from Princeton. Oh. Okay. Our old Rick, pal. you have a question for, for Mike and my dad? Yeah. <laughs> nice singing there, Tommy, too. We could, I'll just do it the entire time you're talking. Right? Yeah, I heard you and you're on hold. That is all. But no, I have a question for Mike and Bob. What do you guys think the chances are... Uh, that they will pull Ponder Chances put in Castle oh or the other guys. Uh, I, I don't know. I can't pronounce. McLeod Balthazar Bethel Thompson. Okay. Uh, Alex, <laughs> she knows that Alex and Catherine. You're welcome. Um, there's a pretty good chance. I mean, I, I think there could be a pretty good chance if things get out of control. Well, soon. They're uh, out of control. I mean, I mean, in the game in against the Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. if it should get out of control uh, pretty quickly, I think that he's probably on a pretty short leash. See, I, I think he should be pulled if he's struggling, but I, I don't know that Frazier will do it. I think he needs to be injured for him to make the move. Well, I know, and that's that's the thing. Well, Frazier says he's going to stand by his quarterback and stuff, but it. You know, why don't we see what our other guys can do? You know, why not? At this point. I would have to agree. No question. I, I think that he should. I, I think that Matt Castle should start this game. By the way, let me point out, ladies and gentlemen, it's one night in a row for Rick not wheeling. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, Rick. I know. Thanks for your call, sir. Right, yep. I want you guys to say hello to on the Mike and My Dad show, which I'm just going to refer to as Mike and My Dad show from now on. <laughs> that way Mike gets top billing. Yes. But Flip Saunders is on the phone with us. Flip Saunders, ladies and gentlemen, on 105 The Ticket. Flip. Andy, you got to bring How are you guys doing? Oh, there he is. <laughs> Andy. God. Sure, my I, haven't, I haven't run away. 
Now, what we're doing so far is we're just bringing up titles of songs in conversation, and I just start singing the song in the background. It's working really, really well. We all roll our eyes. Well, what I want to know is I wonder if you got a bottle of wine there or not. No, I wish. <laughs> Believe me. He'll come to the studio if you do that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he, hey, if you ever invite him to a party, he brings the best wine to the parties, I will tell you that. <laughs> well, those were the days, my yeah. friend. Have you talked Don't about, invite him we to any more parties. We thought they'd never end. Dark, <laughs> dark, dark days. <laughs> A shot from the missus. Uh, have you talked to Ralphie soon? I haven't yet. Lately, I haven't talked to Ralphie in a long time, Flip. I'm talking no, about no, Ralphie. No, I have. I've been, uh, um, I've been working too much, really. We've been pretty busy over here and getting ready. Our season starts in a week, so our training camp. So we're in the full swing right now, and guys are coming in left and right, and we're getting ready. That's You've amazing. got uh, KSKA Moscow on October 7th? Right, we got them coming in, so we'll go down to Mankato next Monday, stay down there for about four or five days, uh, come back on Friday, get ready, play them, and then we'll pretty much be into the full swing. We do have a, a week off, it's really a quirk in our schedule. We actually have about nine days off in the middle of October, so we'll almost have a, a second kind of training camp during that time. So I think it'll be good preparation for us. What are you looking for, Flip, exactly? What are you going to be looking for? Well, I think the biggest thing is, you know, we've had our guys in. They've been playing most of them, except for Ricky and um, and and JJ, who have been overseas playing or have been playing in their for their national teams. And Lexi, uh, Lexi got in there yesterday. But I think we're just looking for these guys to play together. I mean, they've been very competitive in what we've been going through, how they've been playing. I think there's going to be a lot of really believe a lot of competition at all the spots. Um, and competition leads to, to better players and better practices and uh, everything. So, uh, you know, I'm just looking to see the competition. We've Kevin Love came in. He's 238 pounds. I mean, if you, if you when you look at him, you go wow. And I talked with uh, Derek Williams' agent, and Derek's lost about 20 pounds. He's down to 236. So, he's going to come in here on Thursday. So, a lot of the guys that we talked to. Uh, over the course of the spring and what we thought they needed to do over the course of the summer have shown their commitment are coming in in pretty good shape. Now, uh, Flip, we have Mike and Bob Sandsford with us as well, and I know you guys want some access to Flip here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm uh, really intrigued by what you said about Derek Williams because when you came on with us, Flip, you were, you were like, what is going to happen with this kid? I'm, I'm most interested in trying to find a place for him and see how he's going to uh, develop and, and maybe possibly lose some of that weight. Now that he's lost some of that weight, how is he moving around? Well, he's going to come in. He's, just, he's been out in California working out with actually with Kobe Bryant, okay. uh, trainer a lot. So uh, he gets in on Thursday. You know, we told him that I thought he had to come in lighter to be able to to, to show that he could guard smaller players at the three spot. So he's, he's done the first step. You know that's what he's done. So we'll see when he gets in there and how that transforms to how he plays, transforms playing with his with his teammates. Flip, how hard is it for you to make the switch? Because you're such an incredible player in basketball mind as a coach. Uh, to sit back and let uh, let the coach run the team and and uh, put in the plays and to manage the players, uh, how hard is it for you to not intervene? Well, I'll tell you more when it, we get into the full swing of it. <laughs> right now, it, ha- it hasn't been really that tough, and I, and I really believe it would probably help. It's probably my year uh, behind the TV uh, camera at ESPN. I think that helped a lot just... Um, you know, getting away from it and looking at, at the games from a different perspective. Um, you know, I just want to just been excited about having an opportunity to help try to mold the team along with 
you know, Glenn Taylor, along with Rick Adelman, the, you know, bringing the players that we thought could fit in the system that Rick plays. And, and Rick's been great to me. You know, we've had a lot of access. We talk a lot about uh, how, how the team should play, and the philo- we share the same philosophy a lot as far as in ball movement and player movement offensively and you know, defensively, almost playing a lot of zone-type principles even in the man-to-man. So um, I'm right now I'm pretty comfortable sitting back and letting – Everything else marinate. No, I got to point one thing out because uh, I know Bob and, and, and Mike got to hit the road here in a second. But the, Bob, you you ready for a transition here? Sure. You know who was the guy you said came in at two hundred thirty eight pounds? Flip. Uh, Kevin Love. L is for oh the God. way you look. I believe I'm going to throw him. <laughs> she could sucker anybody in his hands. <laughs> you guys are so bad. <laughs> it all works out. So, Mike and Bob, I know you got to hit the road. Flip, can you hang around for a few more minutes? Sure. Yep. Well, don't sound so enthusiastic for <laughs> yes. yes, you're okay, Bernard. Yeah. I'm just very, I'm very sad that Mike and Bob are leaving. That's <laughs> I knew there was something. I knew that we were connecting there, and you just hated to, well, to, to, to see that we're uh, we're taking off. Stay on for the whole uh, rest of Tom's show, and I can ask you a question about ten minutes when I get there. <laughs> yeah, he comes in to pick up Sam, his daughter. <laughs> Flip, do you have to be? Uh, do you have to be off at any specific time? Nope, I'm good. As long as we get you off by about quarter two, you're okay. So, so nine no problem. Okay. Great. Quarter. So you've been good. Well, I've been okay. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't complain. Yeah, how can you not? You can't knock the weather, and and the Gophers are four and zero. So what's better than that? Well, there is that. You're absolutely right about that. I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over there. That basketball, that basketball program. That should be fun. Save it for the air. We yeah, should ask that yeah, question. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. Good, good point. <clears throat> Don't tell me what well, to big, do. <laughs> the biggest thing will be to see if they can last through any of those top three kids. You know, so yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, I don't know if they'll be able to do it, and that's right. If they don't, then it's you know, that, I mean, they need they need something like that to jumpstart the program. Really, fifteen to, seconds. I mean, that's the biggest thing. You got to close your boundaries and get the kids in, in state. That's the number one thing. All right, we're back on in about ten seconds. <clears throat> okay. Correct, Amundo. Brace yourselves. On Bernard's show on Sports Radio 105, the ticket. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. More with Flip Saunders. Featuring Don Shelby is here. Mr. Basketball himself. Were you Mr. Basketball ever? Uh, no. I uh, was in the uh, running, but I got the Mr. Basketball ring in Minnesota. You did? Yeah, because wow. I had hosted the Mr. Basketball for 25 years. I hosted the Mr. Basketball Awards ceremony. Oh, yeah, yeah. And at the conclusion of that, they, they presented me with the Mr. Basketball ring, which was one of the best moments of my life. I could understand that. Flip, I, I just need to ask you one favor if I could do this. Uh, you have a Go huge fan. Your, your biggest fan on earth is a uh, woman named Omni who works at Jason Davalon Studios. That's where Catherine and Alex go get their hair cut. And Omni is a huge fan of yours. And she heard you were going to be on tonight. So she, she was all excited if you'd say hello to her. Hello? I have um, to come in and see her sometime. Yeah, you get that hair all dolled up. That'd be That's great. Right. You sit up, sit up in that front office with a dolled up hairstyle. She would come in and talk sports anytime. <laughs> okay, that, yeah, that sounds good. So <laughs> I will say uh, definitely hello, and uh, it's always nice to have people that that, that love our sport, that love any, any sports really in the Twin Cities. No question. Speaking Absolutely. of that, um, we'll come back to the Timberwolves in just a moment because that's going to be the focus of this program. But uh, because uh, you were on that team that uh, set the all-time record for wins, 
uh, at the University of uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers, and I know that you had, your name had been mentioned as a coach, and we get Patino uh, Light, who comes in here, and uh, I'd, I'd like to hear what you have to say about the possibility of letting these horses run wild, in essence, and play the kind of up-and-down basketball that Patino is known for? And will it be a shock to the Big Ten to see uh, scores over 70 points? Well, the, 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 what you have to understand is that the reason people haven't done that in the Big Ten is because they can't win doing it. I mean, it's, a, it's always been, a, when I played, it was a, a physical conference. It's always been that way. Um, and it continues to be that way. I mean, if you look at the teams that are that um, that dominate that our conference, our defensive-oriented teams, you see Michigan State came out preseason rated number one in the country. Um, Indiana's going to be good. Ohio State's good. All those teams are very defensive-oriented, and they and they do get out and run some. But uh, in order to run, you got to be able to stop people, and so um, it'll be interesting to see if if you have the talent enough in order to do that. You know, that's what it boils down to. you got to have some horses inside to, to defend, and you got to have a, a really, really good point guard if you're going to be a running-type team. And so, as I say, it's not as much of how many points you score, it's how much the other team. So if you're scoring seven, the other team's scoring 80, that's not very good. Right. So, uh, um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it does. Um, I think I definitely believe that the Gophers will be playing entertaining basketball, which is something that people look for. But, you know, the bottom line is in Minnesota – as we all know, it's always about winning, too. And what's happened right now in college sports is college sports are like professional. And back in the old days, down when we played, it was probably the entertainment. They never really got on kids that much if they didn't perform. It's kind of changed a little bit now. It has much, yes. There's no doubt of it. Is there, I don't, I don't suppose maybe you even think about this, but is there any extra pressure on you in the wild since the Vikings and the Twins have been so bad, we all need to turn to the Timberwolves and the wild and go, yeah, I mean, there's University of Minnesota, you're absolutely right, but professional sports, professional sports, right? So right. is there any extra pressure? On, we got to have a good Timberwolves team. we got to have a good wild team because this this summer and fall has been just a disaster. Well, you'd hope so. I mean, uh, unfortunately, the Timberwolves we haven't been very good either. You know, so um, you know, you know we're, we're we're trying to you know to make that jump, and uh, hopefully, we're going to stay healthy. And and the addition of the players we have will put us where we're going to be extremely competitive in the Western Conference. So, uh, you know, that's what we're excited about. But there is that pressure. I mean, I, I believe no matter what sport you're in, when you're in that city, you become invested in that city, mm-hmm. and you want all the sports teams to do well. And when one team doesn't do well, as I've always said, sports is unlike any other business because the next day, everyone, no matter how much toothpaste they use, they got that bad taste in their mouth. Because, you know, from losing, and if it's your Vikings or your Twins or your Wild or your Gophers or your Timberwolves, no matter what. So you want to try to see all the teams do it. When they don't, you know, you hope you can kind of, you know, turn the trick a little bit and get everyone in town in a more positive attitude. Prima. Not only are the Timberwolves up against all of those aforementioned uh, professional uh, franchises, but within the Timberwolves organization itself is, of course, the, the Minnesota Lynx and former national champions uh, not too long ago and with a possibility of coming back with another one. Uh, do, do the Timberwolves male basketball team suffer at all recently by the comparison to how good the Lynx have been? No, not at all. I mean, I, uh, I believe, you know, we, 
our guys really support them a lot. You know, they'll go to games. I know today we were down in, at their practice and they were coming in. I had actually talked for about five minutes with Lindsey Whalen about, you know, their upcoming series. And so there's a lot of camaraderie between the organizations. And I believe that's one thing that Glenn Taylor's done. You know, he, it, he we're all one in there. And, and that, uh, so, I mean, I'm going to try to be at the game on Thursday, you know, rooting them on. And, and, uh, I'm sure we'll have a great crowd there. And, you know, and right now they are carrying the banner of, of the state of Minnesota. And no doubt about that. You know, let me say something as a spectator. Uh, again, I'm a professional sports. I prefer to watch baseball in the stadium. I prefer to watch football at home on television. Uh, but NBA basketball, if you let's say maybe some people have never been to an NBA game, they've never been to a Timberwolves game. One thing I will tell you about that sport is when you're sitting in that uh, arena and you're watching – As an example, a few years ago, Stephon Marbury came to town. And just watching him up close, he was incredibly dominant in that game. I think the NBA features that one player more than any other sport. And maybe, you know, I guess maybe hockey might as well, but not, I don't, I don't really think so. The NBA. If you're in hockey, you know, in hockey, you've got your line changes. Right. The guys are on the ice for, you know, three, four minutes at a time. Or in basketball, your your stars are going to play 40 minutes of 48. So they're pretty much on the floor, you know, the whole time. That's, that's why sometimes teams can make great, Improvements by getting that one start type player. I think the other thing about being there is that unless you're there and you really see the players, and many times even up close, you really don't understand how big and how athletic these players are. I oh, mean, no question. And their quickness and their strength. I mean, it, it, you, if you've never been there, the first time you're there, you are really sometimes in awe of what they do and how, how they do it. I, I remember. Even just, I remember the first time I saw LeBron. You know, I, remember, I saw him play as a high school player, and he was like that. I remember the first time, uh, you know, when he was a pro player, and I remember he was taking the ball out of bounds. And I looked at him, and just his neck, you know, looking on the back of his neck, the size and how big he was at, you know, at 19 years old. Mm-hmm. You almost, you're, you're really kind of been, you're just astonished, and you're in amazement of how these guys are and these athletes. I don't think there's any question about that. And it, and that is what's so great about the NBA is guys, as you already pointed out, guys that are that big, you sit there and you go, did that guy just do that? I mean, he's, he's this massive human being, and the athleticism is is amazing. And to see it in person well, is a whole different deal. Well, I think the other thing is about the NBA. Do you notice the great players that play, they always look like they're playing in slow motion because they do it so effortlessly, mm-hmm. yet... They're, when you're up close, you can actually see how explosive they really are. But many times, when you're looking from afar, they do everything so easy, just because of that's you know their nature and how how good they are, how explosive they are, and they and they it's like they have their whole body is in sync and everything they do. No question. Do you mind taking a call, Flip? No, no problem. All right, who we got, Andy? Uh, Rich again. Rich, you have a question for Flip Saunders? Going on, Flip. Good. How you doing, Rich? Good. How are you? Hey, um, I remember I met you when I was a little kid, um, I believe. Well, I hope I was a little kid, too, but go ahead. <laughs> no, you weren't, but did you uh, at one time have a place on Clearwater Lake? Yes, and I still do. You still do? Okay. Yeah. Yep. You were my grandparents' neighbor. Oh, okay. Do you remember Don and Ramona Hansen? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I know. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. So it's. I. I'm sure. I'm. I'm sure that you have, as I have had as many good times on that lake. So it's. Yeah. A, a fun time, fun lake, and I, I still enjoy it to this day. 
Yep. Yeah, they lived in the the red, the old red brick house. Yeah, by the way, you're talking about. By the way, since this is on the air right now, Flip is at that house right now. <laughs> so uh, I just said Clearwater Lake. So yeah, exactly. Lake, so no one would know exactly where he yeah, is. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Hey, about nowadays that. they can Google everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. Just go to Ramona's house and go to the they right. Know where everybody's house is at all times. No, but yeah, so you remember my my uh, my grandpa passed away, but my grandma's still alive. So you remember them. Oh, yeah. I remember I got out in front of their place. I used to do some pretty good walleye fishing. Yes, yep. And I met you when I was about, well, I want to say about eight years old. And Flip was five. <laughs> so, I been, so I must have been about 25 then, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not sure. I barely remember. And I just remember my grandpa, after I met you, we were walking back to his house, and he said, that was Flip Saunders. And I said, yes, okay. <laughs> he said, uh, well, he's the coach of the Timberwolves, and and at the time, I did, you know, it didn't really register with me. But uh, I might have been older. I guess I don't. I don't follow basketball too much. But well, well we got to change that. We got to yes. keep following basketball and following everything in town. Every sport. Become a Minnesota twin, Minnesota Twins fan. Well, I am Vikings a Kings fan. Yeah, I went wild. To everybody, as soon as it opened, but it's disappointing. <laughs> Rich, Vikings. thanks for your time, pal. It's nice of you to call, Rich. Thank you. Right. Thank you. Now, Flip, I got to tell you, one time we had Louis Anderson. You know Louis Anderson. Yep. We had Louis Anderson on the KQ Morning Show and a nice man. Like, I mean, the guy was very excited to talk to you and talk about, you know, the fact that you, you know his family and all that, or, or you live by them anyway. A guy called in when Louis was on and he said, uh, Louie, I just wanted to call and tell you that I used to work over at the bowling alley on the Maryland Avenue with your brother many years ago. And uh, I don't know if you remember me or not, but I, I worked with your brother at the Bowlerdrome, and it was quite the. And I we used to have beers together. All of a sudden, Louie goes, Are you the one with the limp? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will, I will have to remember that one. <laughs> Stuffed full of sweet content is a bucket of sweet Martha's cookies, but ten times more likely to be finished. Another episode of the Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast, brought to you as always by Bradshaw and Bryant. Great clips this week. Jordan Asher Huffman. Dr. John Huber. And the late, great the legend flip saunders thanks for listening everybody and we will see you next week